0: Matthew 5 verse 7 Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If the first four Beatitudes didn't challenge your soul, these, these will get to you. And here's the thing, I want you to remember this, as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is revealing His own core values, what's important in His heart, to His heart, what He is going to really form as the atmosphere of His kingdom. This is what He's sharing, particularly in the Beatitudes. They're short phrases that indicate blessing falls on these types of people. And the blessing that God is describing is not always the kind of thought that we have when we hear the word blessing. There's all sorts of thoughts about blessing, but ultimately, this blessedness that Jesus is speaking of is a spiritual sense of peace, joy, and happiness. There's an element of wholeness about it. And Jesus is saying lots of different things with this one English word, blessed, but he's not being frivolous. He's not being flippant or superficial about it. He's not, it's not a casual state of blessedness. And it doesn't have as much to do with material blessing as it does with kingdom, spiritual. You have an external inheritance. As a child of God. There are many external blessings that you will experience as you keep walking with God and if you'll keep walking with God you will experience them. And the external inheritance is great but that varies at different levels and it often depends on things even like where you were born, what your physical, mental, or emotional capacity is because a lot of the external inheritance depends or is attached to at some level on what we do with our lives. And so there's a lot of different conditions that might affect that. But your internal inheritance is you and God. Doesn't matter if you're younger or you're older. Doesn't matter if you're, you're here in the West or you were born in the East, the Middle East, the Deep East. It doesn't matter what generation you live in because the internal inheritance, by the way, that's the one that lasts forever. That is something that God says, as hungry as you are, I'll keep feeding you off of that beautiful feast of the internal inheritance. That's why Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, and he says, God has blessed you with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. And so when I hear stuff like that, because there's a lot of things I'll never be in this life. There's probably a lot of things I'll never attain or obtain in this life. But I can read my Bible and I can find out that there's not a single person in the world that has the right to outlove Jesus more than me. In other words, I can love him as much as I love him, as much as I want to love him. I can be as loyal to him as much as I want to be loyal to him. I can experience his love to the degree that I prioritize it. And so today I might awakened at a level five of experiencing God's love. But before I go to bed tonight, I can peg that thing at number 10 if I really want to. And so when we're thinking through these things, I want you to expand your understanding of what it means to be blessed. Sometimes it's a material blessing, but listen, you're not taking anything with you. Some of y'all are going to be, you know, kind of frustrated when it's time to go home to heaven, and you can't take that Escalade with you. When your 401k does not transfer to, to glory, you know? And, 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 you know, we think about blessings and stuff like that, and that's fine. I'm not against wealth, and I'm not against any of that stuff. What I am against is is forsaking the internal inheritance while we pursue a presumed external inheritance. So, so let's just look at this. So, um... Let's just walk through these verses and talk about what it means to be a gentle giant. All of these last four Beatitudes are talking about what kind of people we are. It's not about striving or rule-keeping or I've got to be, I've got to modify my behavior. All of this stuff is meant to get in our hearts and then flow through our lives. The danger is when we read this, we start modifying our behavior while still not surrendering our hearts. And what happens then is we become victims of religion, and it's a religion of our own making, because we feel like, I've got to do this stuff in order to be blessed. And that's not what Jesus is wanting us to teach. What he is saying is, you're already blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. You're already blessed. I'm calling you to live out the life that you have. And your flesh doesn't know how to do that. Matter of fact, your flesh will fight you on it. Um, the world around you will never applaud you and encourage you to, to press in with a greater heart that's enlarged for Jesus. So Jesus not only tells us what kind of values he has and he wants us to live with, but he says, yeah, and you actually have to yield to me because I'm going to do it through you. So don't be discouraged tonight. I'm, I, I've been studying this stuff for years, really, but in particular, this message. I've been studying this for a couple of weeks, and I'm going to tell you, um, I'm not close to graduating on any of these, but I'm growing. Don't stop growing just because you haven't graduated. So here's the first one. We are a sheltering people. We're a sheltering people. Blessed blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Let me just tell you this. It's important for me to confess. This does not come to me Naturally. If, if there's one in this list where if God said, Jeff, which one would you like me to take out? This is it. Because I don't have any of this in my nature. My human nature is not there. Hallelujah, though. I'm not confined to my human nature. I've got the nature of God living in me, living through me. So therefore, when I read this, I'm not walking away from it. I'm saying, Lord, more of you in this area through me. Well, what does it mean? So mercy can be defined in a lot of ways. Let me give you the Jeff Lyle definition. Mercy is compassion for people in need that always leads to intervention on their behalf. I want you to think about this. Mercy is always attached to an action. You can be compassionate, but not necessarily act on it. Mercy moves. Mercy is always connected to misery. In other words, mercy moves from a heart of compassion towards those that are in misery. And sometimes the misery is circumstantial. Sometimes it's spiritual. Sometimes the misery that a person's in is of their own creating. And they don't need a judgmental sermon. They need mercy. And so it's a compassion, it's the heart of Jesus beating in your chest that sees the helpless, the afflicted, the hurting, the hopeless, and it says, I can't sit here and just feel compassionately towards them. I've got to act. I've got to do something. And so I'm going to give you a couple of different aspects to this, and then we'll move down into talking about the pure in heart. So Jesus is saying, merciful people in my kingdom, They are going to receive mercy. At the end of the message, if I don't run out of time, I'm going to to go back and address all of the blessings that come from it. In this one, the blessing is they're going to receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, and their blessing is what? They're going to receive mercy. So this merciful attitude is the first thing I want to talk about. I'm going to tell you how we abide in a merciful attitude. We are, as Christians... We are people who have received immeasurable mercy from a holy God. And that is the key to living a merciful life. What am I talking about? As, as we understand the mercy given to us, we then become more eager to release mercy to others. Mercy is this intentional and kind attention to the miserable and afflicted. It's more than just attention, it's affection. It involves the heart. And because it's attention and affection, it's going to result in action. And so it's towards the one in need. It meets them in their filth, in their brokenness, in their pain, in their hard-headedness sometimes. It goes to them refusing to quit, and the fuel that keeps that engine firing is not based on how much they deserve it or don't deserve it it is based on the fact that we didn't deserve it and we keep getting it. I, I think the, the, the um, occasion where Jesus went into Simon the Pharisee's house, And he's an invited guest, and they're trying to set him up because the Pharisees were no fans of Jesus. And Jesus is in there eating. He's trying to reach the religious crowd. And a woman with a really bad reputation in the town comes in and starts weeping over his feet and washing his feet with her tears and her hair. And it's scandalous. It doesn't mean much to us in our culture, but I'm telling you, in that day, it was scandalous. And the religious people were so upset. And the Bible says Jesus read their minds. Jesus is in there, they're thinking all these terrible thoughts, and Jesus is like, you know I can hear you. (laughs) They're, they're, They're not saying anything, but he's like, yeah, I'm hearing every word you're thinking. And so he says, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. That's the King James. Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he said this, he said, you didn't wash my feet, you didn't give me any oil for my head, but since she came in, she's not ceased to stop washing my feet and anointing me. He said, here's the reason why. The one who's forgiven much, loves much. The one who's forgiven little, only loves a little. The key for you and I operating in mercy and love towards others is to stay aware, freshly aware, daily aware of how much we've been forgiven. That's not guilt, that's not shame, that's praise, that's grace, that's glory, that's saying hallelujah. God, I mean, you could have damned me He could have damned me, and the angels would have had right to celebrate because it would have been just, but he didn't. He just lavished mercy, and by the way, the last time you received mercy was not when you bowed your knees to Jesus. That's when you first experienced your knowing that you experienced mercy, but we receive mercy every single day, and so what Jesus is saying is, if we'll operate as those who've received mercies, we're going to grow in our ability to give it to others, and just plan to be tested on this in life. Because we, we live by an internal uh, presumption of a barter system. So I, I gave you mercy last week, you better respond appropriately. And then they do the same thing for which you just gave them mercy. You're like, I've been giving you mercy. And that's just the way we're wired. I'm, I'm, I'm as guilty of that as others. But, but what happens is as we grow, the Lord whispers to us and he says, hey, why don't you give them the same amount of mercy that I give you. And when you do that, you're going to be so blessed. And you're going to receive mercy. And I believe what Jesus is saying there, it's not just you're going to receive mercy when you get to heaven. I believe he says, as you give it here, you're going to be receiving it here. I'll even take it up a notch. I don't believe it's just mercy from God that he'll see that you'll get. I believe you'll get mercy from others. It's really hard for anybody who's at least morally enlightened. They don't even have to be saved. It's really hard to go after the meek and the merciful with a vengeance. There are some sociopaths that do that, but most of the time when you give mercy, it invites mercy. You give judgment and, and, and anger and, and, and all of that stuff, you're going to get it right back on you. So, what Jesus is saying here is we've got to have a merciful attitude. We're, we're looking for opportunity to give mercy when the default reaction would be to give judgment. And, of course, it leads to merciful actions. The attitude will always lead to your actions. Um, If you want to know what kind of attitude you're living with, just do an assessment of how you're acting because they're always connected. Helpless people need need mercy. Helpless people, they're all around us. These are those kinds of people that are unable to truly deliver themselves from their circumstances, from their own pains and brokenness, from um, sometimes financial Sometimes um, it's, it's sinful stuff, but these are people that on their own cannot extract themselves from the situation they're in. And it's so common for religious people to point the finger, make an example out of them, and shame them. And that's not the heart of Jesus. Never has been, never will be. And so what do what people that, like us, what do we do? We, if we're open, Jesus is gonna give mercy to those people through us. Not only the helpless, but the the headstrong people. Headstrong people need mercy. Those are sometimes the hardest ones to give it to because they think they got it all together. They act like they got it all together. They they literally frustrate us at times with their pride. But these people need our patient commitment to help them. Listen, here's here's the difficult thing about headstrong people. They don't know how frustrating they are. They, they have a hard time admitting they're wrong, and, and they fight to preserve the fact that they know they're right. Bless God, they haven't been wrong since 2013, and, 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 they, and they're so headstrong, and they're defensive, and they fight, and they push, and there is, the, there is this thing in our heart that just wants to quit because they're exhausting. Don't quit on them. Doesn't mean you can't take a time out, catch your breath, and come back later. But what I'm saying is you can't give up on them. Why? Do you know what will change them? It's not another lecture. It's it's not a rehearsal of their their fallen history. It's, It's coming at them at mercy and being factual with them. I'm going to come to that in a moment. Being factual with them and truthful with them. But you're coming at them and you're saying, you know what? I love you. I love you. You're driving me crazy right now. But I love you, and I'm not giving up on you, and I'm not quitting on you. And what you need right now is, is you need the mercy of God, and so I'm just going to pray that. I'm going to pray that for you, and then you don't sermonize them, you don't, you don't reject them. And I'm going to tell you, it takes time, because headstrong people, you got to chip away at that stuff with mercy. Mercy is a hammer, but it's, a very, it's, a, it's, like a, it's an intricate hammer with a chisel. It's not a sledgehammer. And so they need it. And then hardened people need it too. Headstrong, the next level is hardened people. These are the type of people who refuse to acknowledge their need. And they constantly resist our attempts to assist them. And their hearts get hard. You work with some people like that. You've got people in your family like that. There's always going to be people moving in and out of churches like that. Um, You're going to intersect with these type of people all the time. They, I promise you, They have heard dozens of lectures. They're surprised by mercy. They're surprised. I talked with a Christian business owner today. He stopped by the office, and um, he has some clientele that are fairly jaded on the church and don't think much of Jesus or Christians at all. And um, they know he's a Christian business owner, and they've been his patrons for a long time. And he's he's not apologetic about his Christianity. He's got stuff about it on his website and everything, and so somehow two of the this person and another person were in his place of business today, and they were talking about Jesus. They were talking about God, and they were talking about the church, and it wasn't flattering. None of it was good, and my friend, the business owner, is standing there, and he's just doing his job, and you know how hard that is when they're in your shop, and they're talking about your savior, and they're they're not they're not accurate they're not true but he waited and they looked at him and he's smiling and he's kind and they said well you're a christian what do you think you know half of us would have pulled out the family bible at that time boo, i'm glad you asked <laughs> you know we would have just flipped back through the law and you know all that kind of nonsense not him he said let me let me i'm glad you asked let me tell you what i think and he shared with them the gospel through his own testimony of belief, and smiled, and didn't say turn or burn. It was none of that. He was just kind, and, was, and the, the lady in particular, the one who was aggressively atheist, she said, you know what? I've never heard it that nicely from a Christian. I guarantee you that will stay with her much longer than a word of judgment. So let's move on, because as we think on these things, I've got three more to go. I don't know if you're aware of this, I tend to preach a little long, so I'm going to, Wednesday nights especially, you guys are troopers, so let's get, let's get down into verse number eight. So we, we've talked about this being a sheltering person. We are, we are sheltering people. That is Jesus working through you. You are a sheltering person. You may not feel like, I confess, I don't feel naturally merciful, but it's not about being in the natural Shauna, you, that's what I was telling you. You are this type of person. You move to the afflicted, the hurting. You've got the gift of helps. You've got this on you. And so when, when people are in need or people are hurting, you're not even trying. That's what I'm saying. Maybe there's other ones of these that, that you're not there yet. But take courage that some of these are fluid through you and all of us in the room. You may not be hitting a home run on every one of these, but chances are you're going to read one of these at least and say, oh, yeah, I love doing that. That's, that's Jesus working for me. And the other ones, he's just saying, yeah, I want to work with you and cultivate this in you. Um, he's not checking his watch. He's not saying you should have had this by last Thursday. He's literally inviting you to walk into these things on a deeper level with him. So we're going to be a sincere people. Why? Because Jesus is sincere. What am I talking about? Blessed are the pure in heart. And here's the blessing. They will see God. Now, if that doesn't capture our curiosity, so hopefully I'll talk about it here at the end. All right, let's just, let's, let's look at what he's saying. Remember, Jesus is talking on a hillside, nobody's ever heard these before, and he's saying, blessed are the pure in heart, for they, excuse me, for they will see God. Let me read you um, just a couple of other passages of Scripture, because I believe Jesus, as he's saying those words, is actually thinking about a verse in his Bible, the Hebrew Bible, And I think he's probably thinking on Psalm 24, verses 3 through 6. And remember this: seeing God and the pure in heart, listen to Psalm 24, verses 3 through 6. This will not be up on the screen, so listen. The question is asked: who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean heart, clean hands, and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God. So when Jesus is talking, he's not just kind of pulling this thing out of his hat. He's got his Bible. He's got the Hebrew Bible all in him, and he's condensing that statement from Psalm 24, and he's saying, Here's a gateway to blessing, pure-hearted living. Pure-hearted living is going to result in the blessedness of intimacy with God that we can even characterize by calling it seeing the face of God. Um, And so this is an issue of not only eternity, but right now too. I've not seen God. Matter of fact, nobody has seen God the Father and lived. When we see Jesus, we have seen the Father. But strictly speaking in the Godhead, nobody has seen the face of God and lived. We're going to have to get glorified bodies just to be able to live in His presence for eternity because if we stood in there in this body, it would just be like nuclear on us. We'd just melt. We'd be a puddle of rejoicing, but we would be melted if this was our eternal body. So, He's going to give us a new body. That's getting off track, but here's the thing. Jesus is saying here, Do you want want intimacy with God? Do you want to to behold the face of God? We're going to do it by faith now. And and listen, he says, keep your heart pure. Now, I'm going to deal with the moral aspect of that in a second, but there's some other parts of it that I want to deal with first. So, first of all, it's an internal aspect to this, this being sincere with your entire life. What is the internal aspect? Jesus goes to the deepest part of us. He goes to our heart. He says, it's not about modifying your behavior to where your activities are quote-unquote pure. That's a part of that, but that's not where we start. That's actually the result of being pure-hearted, not the cause of becoming pure-hearted. So he is saying, I'm going straight to the you of you. I'm going to who you are. The heart in Jesus' day, both in Hebrew and Greek thought, the heart is that place of the real us. And he's saying, I want to bring kingdom purity in that thing, because out of the heart proceeds your life. And so Jesus, listen to me, Jesus did not come to establish a religion. Jesus did not just kind of put a, a tweak on the, on the Phariseeism, uh, Phariseeism of his day. He didn't come to tell you a new way of thou shalt, thou shalt not. That's not the heartbeat of Christianity. Jesus says, I am going for your heart because when I have your heart, I won't have to lecture you constantly about your behavior. And so he goes after the heart, and it's this internal aspect. But listen, being pure being hearted also has a relational aspect between one another. See, pure hearts, if I'm pure hearted in my relationships, I'm going to be true, I'm going to be transparent, You are going to know what you're getting when you interact with me if I am living pure-heartedly. What are the opposite of those things, those kind of sentiments? Hypocrisy, two-facedness, interacting with you with my own hidden agenda. I'm going to pretend I'm really for you so I can get something from you. That's not pure-hearted. There's no blessing on that. So in our relationships, no matter whether they're in the home, they're in the church, they're in the marketplace, and especially the relationships that are most meaningful, not just, you know, I I think especially where those people you're really doing life with, we have to be sincere, we have to be pure-hearted. We're such a wounded generation. Everybody in the room has wounds, okay? Some people have deep wounds, some people have not-so-deep wounds, but you know what wounded people, uh, we do as we get older, if we don't experience full deliverance and healing? We build walls because we don't want anybody hitting the bruise anymore. So we we build walls. We can look over those walls. We can peek around those walls. We can wave to people, but we live behind walls. That's not being pure hearted. And so the Lord calls us to step out from behind the walls in those relationships. And listen, love me or don't love me, but I've got to be pure hearted with you. I owe a debt of love, you owe a debt of love to be authentic and genuine and real. Why? Because that's who the Savior is. And you can do it. You say, well, Jeff, people take advantage of that. Well, listen, at some point, you'll you'll become very skilled at being wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. So I don't just just give myself fully to people that I don't know. Um, But I will say this, I don't want to live in hypocrisy. I don't want to pretend to be something that I'm not. Or to pre- pretend not to be something that I am. And so this relational aspect means it's, it's um, what is the word? Vulnerable. It's, it's vulnerable. It's continual. We keep pressing in. But we keep our hearts pure. There is this thing, I'm going to be preaching on this in both services on Sunday morning, Lord willing, in two different ways. I can't get away from it. Um, The world wants you to live by its definition of you. Um, And they assign that definition of you through describing you to you. So in other words, the the world can describe you, but it's not qualified to define you. And I can't get away from the fact that so many people are living their lives, even a lot of Christians, trying to fit a definition that somebody else has assigned on them. So in other words, I mean you know all the classifications that they try to squeeze us into. It's racial, it's male or female, and and I'm not being sarcastic with this now, all of the other gender role, we get to pick however that, and then we get to be that kind of person, and then we've got socioeconomic, and then we're graded by our physical appearance, and you know, all of these things. And what's happening is because we're bombarded with that over the years and through so many different outlets, we start defining ourselves by how we're being constantly described by others. And you, that's the wrong way for pure-hearted people to live. Relationally, we need to say, hey, I get it. You're going to describe me in a certain way, but I'm just going to tell you, there's actually a line that you're not, it's impossible for you to cross. You don't get to define me. Jesus defines me. Jesus says who I am, and I am actually that person, and I'm going to be that person. So in my relationships, I'm going to be pure-hearted with you. It's it's the old WYSIWYG. Do you know what WYSIWYG is? What you see is what you get. It's the first letters, WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. And, and, you know, some people say that kind of flippantly, it's like, hey, man, i got to listen. I want to tell you, I care what people think about me, but I don't care enough to be controlled by it. And so when we're pure-hearted, we say, this is who I am. I am who he says that I am. And when you step into that, and in militant love, you say, that's actually the way I'm going to live my life, you're no longer a victim of how other people define you. You're now liberated in how God defines you. So your relational aspect begins to be lived out with a pure-heartedness. Um, There's a missional aspect to this, too. Let me give you this very quickly. We're still talking about blessed are the pure in heart. What does it mean to be pure in heart when it comes to the mission of God? Just very simply, pure hearts are growing in selflessness. Nobody's graduated yet, but we're growing. Remember, you're growing, that's good. You haven't graduated, so you're always going to be growing. Just because you haven't graduated doesn't mean you're not growing. Some of y'all are so goal-oriented, you're like, bless God, I should have graduated by now, I'm not even going to try anymore. No, 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 man. You don't quit. You're, you're growing. It's not like high school where you got 12 years and you got a certain amount of semesters. God says, I'm with you beginning to end. You're going to be growing the whole time. Let's do this thing together. And so this missional aspect means that we're going to be selfless, that we're going to be sacrificial, that we're actually living out wherever we are a day-by-day awareness that we're on a mission with God. It's kind of like Jake and Elwood back in the 70s where I'm on a mission from God. And that means we are pure hearted people who are here to serve. And so if I'm pure hearted, I'm. Do you remember Ananias and Sapphira? Woo! You talk about a busting of a groove, man. I mean, the church was grooving. People getting healed, people getting saved. It's just blowing up signs, miracles, wonders, and people are selling their land and laying it at the feet of the Apostles. The Apostles are taking that money, feeding the poor, doing all this amazing kingdom stuff with it. And Ananias and Sapphira get saved. This is, by the way, this is after the cross, after the resurrection. This is the same age then that we're living in now. No difference. This wasn't law. This was grace. This was in the church age. And Ananias and Sapphira sell their five acres, but they only bring the money as if they sold two. Now, they didn't have to give a dime of it. It Wasn't no problem whatsoever. They could have kept the whole thing, and they wouldn't have been doing anything wrong unless the Lord had inwardly told them to give it. But when they came, they pretended like they brought it all. And the Holy Spirit tells Peter, they're lying. And Peter says to Ananias, hey man, did you... Did you sell that land? Sure did. Sure did, Pete. Absolutely. Sold every acre of it. And you're giving all that money today. Uh-huh. Yep, giving it all. Giving it all to the Lord. Just going to give it all. Pure hearted. Going to give it all to the Lord. And Peter says, why have you lied against the Holy Spirit? And Ananias dies. Isn't that a blessing? How do you like that to happen on a Sunday morning during the offering? Ananias dies. His wife comes in an hour later. They're dragging Ananias out. His wife comes in, and Peter says, hey, I heard y'all sold the land. She's like, sure did. Peter says, y'all, y'all donating all that to the Lord's work? And she goes, uh-huh. Yeah, sure, pure-hearted, absolutely. And uh, Peter says, don't you know that the feet of those that just buried your husband are now walking in, and she drops dead. So this is not a message about money. So unclench, Okay. <laughs> Relax. this is a message about pure heartedness and mission do what god tells you to do don't pretend you're doing more and don't stoop to do less than what he's empowered you to do but the thing is is whatever we do do it heartily paul wrote colossians chapter 3 do it heartily is under the lord and not under men and so when it comes to the mission let's be selfless let's be sacrificial Let's go after it. You can't do everything, but you can do something. And so pure-hearted people aren't avoiding sacrifice. They're not avoiding time spent. They're not avoiding serving. And a great way to, by the way, I'll just, I will put in this plug, a great place to start serving is right here in, in, in the place where you worship, the people that you're doing life with. Get connected somewhere. If you don't have a place to serve, you don't know what you would do if you could serve, just make yourself available, I'm gonna promise you. When you do the good that you can do, you'll eventually do the good that you're supposed to do. So you start where you can and you end up where you are, and that's part of being a pure heart. And then finally... When it comes to the sincerity and the pure in heart, those that will see God, there is a moral aspect. H- hear me on this. This is not legalism. This is, this is sanctification. This is holiness. He is the Holy Spirit. You'd, you'd, you'd think by so much of what we see and hear about the Holy Spirit today, you'd think he'd be called the, the wacky spirit or the cool spirit or you know, the, the scary spirit. He's the Holy Spirit. And so if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're going to be pure in heart. And so this means that pure hearts are contrite and clean. That just means we are who we are. We're not one way Monday through Saturday and then cleaning it up on the religious day on Sunday. It just means that we are being who we are empowered to be. Now, you're, this is coming from a guy who has a very sinful past. I'm, I'm talking to you as one who, who had to walk this out and still does, but my past on August 3rd was all of this rot of 1994, August 3rd. It was just terrible. I get saved on August 4th, and I know that something has shifted in me, but I'm in the exact same environment where I had been sinning for so long that my flesh was trained to sin. And so now all of a sudden, I've got the Holy Spirit living in me, so I, don't, I can't have fun doing my old junk anymore, but I don't know how to do what is right. And so what did I have to do? I had to get in the Word. I had to make some separations from some old associations. And then I had to fill my life with what was good so there was no room for what was bad. That, that's the key, by the way. Holiness is loving the Lord our God. So it moves from I got to keep the rules. I got to keep the rules. I just got to keep the rules. I'm a Christian now. I got to keep the rules. I got to keep the rules. Y- you will not keep them long. You won't. You won't be able to. That's not a strong enough motivation to walk in holiness. Eventually, you're going to get exhausted and you're going to, you're going to fall. But if you fall in love with Jesus in the pro- proper way, if he starts becoming that all-consuming fire, and, and listen, we actually have to participate in that. that doesn't, that's not just God's responsibility to keep hitting us with a dose of loving Jesus. We actually have to press into that. He, he is God and he's not insecure, but he wants to be wanted. And so when we want him, we fall in, I know this is landing in a few places, it's landing on me right now. We want him, we love him, so it's not about I've got to really try hard not to do what is bad. You start, you, you start becoming unaware of the bad because you're so entrenched and fixated on he, he who is so good. And your heart gets purified. And so the moral aspect is real. Listen, if you're struggling with intermittent immorality, if you're struggling with besetting sins that, that creep in and crop up, I, I'm going to tell you, I don't have a do this, this, and this, and you're free. What I'm going to say is, is, is the key is that it, the more Jesus becomes awesome to you, the less these other things will, will feel awesome. They'll feel horrific. And it'll be like this. I, I, I want to be discreet here. Um, yeah, I probably can't use that illustration, so let me be pure in heart. and just—I'm I'm just saying, uh, there's just certain things you would never eat. There's certain stuff that you would never look at and say, man, I'd like to taste that. And the reason why is, A, you know it's bad for you physically. B, it really smells. C, it doesn't belong in you. And the, the other one is, you've tasted so much that is good, you never want to taste that. And so there's a spiritual application to that, man, if I just let God reorient my appetites, my, my heart's going to go after what I'm hungry for. All right, so let me get down into verse number nine. We are a reconciling people. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Uh, A quick technical note here. The King James, I believe, says children of God or child of God. That's not a good rendering, and let me tell you why. Sons of God is not so much about gender as it is about association. When somebody said in that day, this is Yosef, he is a son of um, Petros, that it would not only just be a family identification, as as Joseph got older, they would start seeing the likeness of his father. So there would be, we would say it this way, he's just like his daddy. He's just like his daddy. That's kind of encapsulated when, when Jesus uses this sons of God. It is literally, we see the father in the son. And so he's saying here, and what's amazing, is Jesus could have used anything with this. I mean, what did Jesus use to say, you're, you're, you're so much like your heavenly father when you are, and we could think of a hundred things. Jesus says, you're so much like your heavenly father when you're living as a peacemaker. I'm, I'm actually kind of like surprised by that because I would, I would think probably 50 things, maybe 20 things before I would have come to that. But Jesus says, no, you're actually like the father when you are living as a peacemaker. Uh, Friends, there's never been a generation in our culture where there's more opportunity for you to daily be a peacemaker. I mean, everybody's mad about something, right? I mean, I I wake up every day, and it's a little joke with me and my family now. I'm like, I'll text Amy, and I'll come into work, and she'll be waking up, and I'll be like, hey, I've been up for an hour. Everybody's still hacked off at one another. It's just louder today. Yeah, you know, that's just, that's the times we're living in. W- what would it be like if instead of getting in on the dumb debates that are just, I mean, this stuff is so fruitless, Christians, come on, your, your Facebook thread and your Twitter thread and all your social media stuff, that's not for you to enter in with your verbal grenades about stuff that's not going to matter in 50 years don't get into that, just resist the urge. Some of y'all are so gifted and opinionated and you can stream together lots of sentences and you can hit send and you can push back and you'll say, let's see what comes of that. That's not, that's not what you're made for. You're actually a peacemaker. And so sometimes we make peace by not adding our opinion to something that's already on fire and unprofitable. Other times we make peace by in our own relationships when there's trouble, there's struggle, there's discord, there, and and. Sometimes we're right and they're wrong. That's one of the most dangerous places for us to be as Christians. It's so easy not to be like Jesus when we know we're right. Because we've got all the facts on our side, and it's so easy just to crunch the other person. And I'm not saying we ever sacrifice truth. That's not what you're hearing me say. But what I am saying is sometimes you can be right and act completely wrong. And a peacemaker is a bridge builder, not a bridge burner. And we're living in a day where you wake up every day and somebody's going to hand you a a can of gasoline and a lighter and say, go burn a bridge. Because that's just the generation we're living in. It's like the new sport of the 21st century is fighting. And that's not Jesus. And it's not about our personalities. I'm I'm a little bit of a pit bull. I, I I used to do it, man. I used to enjoy debate and enjoy fighting and it took a couple of years of winning most of the arguments I was in before I realized oh I've lost all those relationships man I made my point bless God but the people that I made my point on weren't around anymore that's not a peacemaker so what is a peacemaker well listen we're going to be relational people peacemakers really as, as, as Jesus works in us, peacemakers, we're only content when we know we're right with others. We can't, we can't let the sun go down on our wrath and sleep peacefully. Sometimes we, we can't fix it before we go to bed, but as much as it depends on us, we're gonna be at peace with all people. And so peacemakers can't pretend everything's right when it's not. Some of y'all are married to people like that. Like, you're willing to roll over because you're tired of talking about it, and you're married to Mr. or Mrs. Peacemaker, and they're like, we can't go to bed yet. We, we have got to get this thing settled. They're a gift to God, to your family. They may be annoying at 2 o'clock in the morning, but they're a gift of God to your family because they're saying, we've got to get this right. This is Jesus in us. So they're relational people. Um, they're also resilient people. Peacemakers know how to be quiet and welcome God to defend them. That's hard. It's hard to be quiet and let God defend you. And Jesus says, yeah, I had to do it. The lamb led to the slaughter. He was reviled and he did not revile back. You know, he's on those mock trials. Every one of those yahoos was wrong. They're about to put him to death. Jesus is standing in the presence of Pilate and Pilate's like, you know what I can do to you? And Jesus is the only thing he's like, you actually can't do anything except it was given to you of my Father. And, and Pilate's saying, why don't you defend yourself? Why don't you tell the truth? Why don't, why don't you give me something to set you free? And Jesus is just quiet. And So that's the one that lives in you. He lives in you. So when they're coming at you and everything, and you've got all the facts, and you've got the ability and the impulse to defend yourself, you're a peacemaker. I want you to remember that. You're a peacemaker. It's okay if you lose the argument. I, I promise you. It's okay, there, there may even be an opportunity the next day to readdress it in a healthy way, but sometimes the best thing for you to do is to lose the argument in the moment so you can win the heart later. So that's being resilient, I gotta hurry. Restorative people, again, very simply, peacemakers, they, they build the bridges. Relationships get broken, they, they get interrupted, they get fractured, it happens all the time somebody's got to start saying to the person on the other side of the, of the gap, hey, I'd like to build a bridge to you. That other person may say, if you want to, go ahead, I'm not really interested. And you start putting in the effort to build that bridge and close that gap. And reasonable people, especially if they're Christians, reasonable Christians, when they see you humbling yourself and building a bridge towards them when they know you've been at odds, reasonable Christians will see that and they'll get humbled. And that, that peacemaker will arise in them and they'll say, okay, they're being serious. They're humbling themselves. They love me. They're willing to put the work in. I'm going to put the work in. And there's nothing more beautiful than seeing two peacemaking Christians come together when they've been in conflict and to see it resolved. I love seeing that. Um, just, just as we're getting ready to close down, uh, peacemakers are what I call retaining people. What does that mean? We retain our commitment to truth peacemaking is not peace at any price we don't compromise what is true we don't allow for falsehood to grow that's artificial peace and it's always temporary it just gives you a breath in the moment but it always comes back uglier and so we retain a commitment to truth let me give you an example of this um this is not a complicated situation scripturally. But in our culture today, when it comes to the LGBTQ movement, and it's a very aggressive movement, um, there is an expectation now on the church not merely to accept. I can tell you this. I will accept anybody. I don't care what their background is, what their sexual orientation is, what their I will accept anybody, with the dignity that I am called to give every single human being. But that's not what we're being asked to do. We're being asked to affirm. Acceptance, yes. Affirmation of those things. So you say, well, Jeff, you just talked about being a peacemaker. How are you going to make peace with them? Well, I'm going to tell you, it's in the gospel. And the gospel is objective, and it has truth, non-negotiable. Jesus is the answer. So I can accept anybody. But if, if the demand on me is to affirm them in order to have peace with them, then we don't have any foundation for peace. By the way, God is opening up doors right here in this mission base and this church. God, I believe, is connecting us with a very anointed, strong ministry that is making a major impact in the LGBTQ community, and these are all former members of that community who've been rescued by Jesus, and now they're going back to the very same people that they used to run with, and they're saying, we love you. We accept that you are the way you are, but we're not accepting the fact that that is the way you are meant to be. We are accepting you, but we are not affirming that Because the power of Jesus Christ will bring you into your true identity. So that's going to get me in trouble when it goes on television. But I just want to say, I'm saying all of this in love. And I'm saying, I'm looking right at that camera. I'm saying, if you're part of that community, we accept you and we love you. But just like we cannot affirm anybody else that is in living in a lifestyle of any sort that is contrary to the Word of God, we can't affirm that. But we want to accept you, and we want to love you, and we want to help you. We'd love to have peace, a spiritual oneness, and a fellowship, and an intimacy in the Spirit with anybody. But it always has to be founded upon the truth of the gospel. So here's what we're going to do. I'm not going to rush through verses 10 through uh, 12 because they're about persecution and I don't want to rush. And so we're going to save that for the next message. And then I'm also going to tag, come back and, and, and tag. What about these blessings? Because the merciful receive mercy. Let's talk about that next time. The peace of uh, the, the um, pure in heart. They see God. Hey, man, I want Jeff. I want to know what that is. I, I believe I really want to see God. I want to see him by faith. And I want to see I want to see him anyway. He'll let me see him. How do I peek behind the curtain? Amen. That, I, I get that because there's, there's no greater thirst than Christians have is that we really, 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 really want to know God. We really want to know him. Who are you? What are you, what are you like? And, and the, the phrase that Jesus uses is that you'll see him. So you'll see him in the spirit, but eventually, and I don't know how it all works, we're going to see God. Listen. Ooh, man, I'm just getting blessed thinking about it. Um, I, I don't know how it all works Father, Son, and Spirit You asked me to explain the Trinity i just say no Because I, I can't But I can believe And I can enjoy But I'm going to tell you this One of these days Literally in your glorified body You're going to step into The heavenly realm And you're going to see Jesus You're going you're literally going to see him. He's not going to be see-through. He's not going to be floating and misty. He's in a glorified body. The same body that he ate fish with after the resurrection. The same body that he went about showing himself alive by many infallible proofs according to Luke. And and we're going to see him, the same body that Thomas had to touch. You know, Jesus said, put your hand up in, in my side and see my hands and my feet. He has a body. You're going to see him. You're actually going to hear his voice. And I, I guarantee you, he doesn't look like any of the paintings. He doesn't have blonde hair. He doesn't have white skin. And he doesn't have blue eyes. He doesn't. And And so... I can't wait to see what he looks like, man. It's just a, and I don't know if I'm going to be falling at his feet, and I'll never, you know, it might take me 50 years to look up in his face. I don't know how it's all going to work, but I know one thing for sure. We're going to see him. That's what motivates us, that's what moves us. I love living with him, for him, in his presence by faith. I love it. I love it. But I, I cannot bear the thought of never getting to see Him. I'm, that's the, pro- the promise of all promises is that we'll be with Him and we'll literally get to look on Him. So well, let's stand here for you. Come on. You know, he's, he's just so good. Just so good. You know, life sometimes, not so great. Jesus, really, 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 really good. Amen? Lord, we love you. You've just brought our heart to a place of worship as we go home tonight. Thank you. Lord, all of these beatitudes, we trust that you're working in us. Lord, we don't want to strive in the flesh for any of this. We confess. We can't do this without you. We don't want to. We don't want to perform for you. We, Lord, we want to be more yielded, surrendered, and open. We, we don't even know how to do that all the time. But here we are. This is what you get Get it all, Lord. Get it all. Live your life through us. We're yielding, and where we don't know how to yield, help us yield. Where we don't want to yield, Lord, bend us. Where we won't bend, break us if necessary. But Lord, we cannot wait until faith gives way to sight, and Jesus, we long for that day. You are worthy in your name. Amen. Amen.